Corinthians, I mean, uh, Ezekiel, <clears throat> we'll get this sorted out, in Ezekiel chapter 13 of this evening. If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, uh, we want you to have a Bible so you can hear the Word and read along and try to cover a little bit of territory on Sunday nights. So just flag one of the guys coming up the aisle right now and they'll get a Bible into your hands. Excuse me a moment. Whatever allergies I have, I think they're 365 days a year at this particular point. So we come now to Ezekiel chapter 13. In Ezekiel chapter 13, the apostle, uh, I mean, <laughs> where am I, New Testament, Old Testament? The prophet uh, Ezekiel here begins to, he, he addresses in earnest the false prophets and prophetesses. Um, uh, because they played such an instrumental role in uh, failing to live up to their calling and uh, in, in leading the people away from the very thing that was important in Jerusalem and in Judea uh, to, uh, to, uh, to cause the, uh, the judgment of God that was coming toward them to be blunted and, and to uh, be taken away. And that was the importance of of, uh, of their repentance. And so uh, they continually opposed, as we saw in the book of Jeremiah, the ministry of Jeremiah, and uh, they were even continuing to oppose the ministry of Ezekiel because as Ezekiel would speak the prophecies to the captives in Babylon, uh, all of these false prophecies were coming from Jerusalem uh, to Babylon, uh, contrary to what he was prophesying, and that is no judgment was going to come upon uh, Jerusalem. It would stand, and Nebuchadnezzar would be defeated, and and all. And so the the uh, religious leaders of the Jews were uh, as responsible, and I would contend even more responsible for the ultimate fall of Jerusalem and uh, Judah than even their political uh, leaders. And because if they had stood up and they had uh, told people in mass, not just the ones or twos that were faithful, like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, but if they had really stood up and spoken the truth to people about the need to repent of their idolatry, these are the issues that uh, God is upset with, then, uh, then all of it uh, might have been uh, turned, turned around. But they reassured the, uh, the people that everything was, uh, was uh, okay. And, uh, and so he has a, a strong word for them now in, in chapter uh, 13. The word of the Lord uh, came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel, who prophesy and, and say to those who prophesy out of their own hearts. So that's one of the characteristics of a false prophet. The gift of prophecy is just one of the most wonderful gifts. I mean, uh, we, we should never, because spiritual gifts or callings, office, the office of a prophet is an office within the body of Christ. We should never look down on that or with suspicion because people misuse, uh, misuse those, those gifts. Uh, Ezekiel is a prophet. It's tremendous, that gift. I don't know that there's anything, uh, you know, one of the most wonderful experiences in the Christ Christian life is to hear uh, a prophetic word. Somebody speaks a prophecy through a person, or uh, when you hear somebody maybe handling the Word of God and teaching, and you realize this has gone from being merely a teaching to now this is the Lord speaking directly through this person from the Word of God. And it's very exciting, and it's very supernatural, um, and, uh, and we could almost wish that every time a person says, thus saith the Lord, that it's always going to be uh, something from the Lord, but that isn't uh, true. It is possible to prophesy uh, out of uh, a person is to out of their own heart. And that's what the false prophets did. I don't know, we can't judge their hearts or know their hearts, whether uh, in their heart of hearts they realized that Jeremiah and Ezekiel were absolutely right, uh, but because for power and for money or whatever, uh, they were going to uh, uh, try and deliver a more positive message to God's people, or whether they actually believed their prophecies. But 
uh, but here, is, uh, here we see that it's possible to prophesy out of their own heart. This was, uh, this was, they were speaking from God, not delivering something that was from God's throne, but something that was a fabrication within their own heart, their own emotion. And, uh, and, and prophecy, when we think about a prophet or we think about uh, a prophecy, uh, to, to prophesy, it, 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 we think of it some, within the culture almost exclusively as being a foretelling of something. Uh, but, and that is a narrow uh, dimension of the gift of prophecy, but it isn't the, the whole, uh, whole bandwidth of it. Uh, the prophecy, a prophet is simply someone who speaks for God. And, it, it, and they are more accurately someone who uh, forth-tells uh, rather than foretells, though all of the Old Testament prophets had an element of a foretelling related to their ministry. But so much of it was not that something is going to happen or something is coming, but just simply a call to repent or uh, a call to get right with God and, and, uh, and those kind of a message. And so uh, they prophesied out of their own heart, hear the word of the Lord. And so they would, uh, one of the things that makes it hard to spot a false prophet is that that they have the lingo down and they have the language down. And so before even a false prophet would prophesy, they would say something like, thus saith the Lord, as we'll see in a couple of verses, or they would um, preface their prophecy, even a false one, by saying, hear the word of the Lord. Now, one of the things that's, that's kind of uh, uh, good and bad, there are no bads about being a Christian, but um, the... Uh, one of the things that we can have a tendency to be as Christians is we're, God makes us into pretty nice people uh, and, and love hopes all things, it believes all things, and so we tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. We don't want to walk in a critical spirit and a judgmental attitude uh, toward people. And, uh, and so sometimes when people will say something, uh, maybe even deliver like a personal word from God to us, God told me to tell you this, or somebody says, thus saith the Lord, um, we can kind of drop all of our defenses related to that and assume that everything that's prefaced in that way is coming from the Lord. Uh, but uh, when somebody says, thus saith the Lord, uh, that's great. We want to be open to anything that God has to speak to us, but all prophecy is to be judged. And, uh, and so it's not to just be taken everything that God says, uh, somebody says God is saying, I've had wonderful prophecies delivered to me in the course of, uh, of all the years of being here in Modesto, and I've had some crazy old stuff uh, come my way too. And all of them preface this being something from the Lord. So we want to be open to that gift. We want to be open to anything that God wants to speak to us in any way. Uh, but we also need to be discerning. There are false prophets. And thus says the Lord God, God's got a real uh, true uh, uh, prophecy uh, for the false prophets. Woe to the false prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. And so here you have uh, people that are declaring uh, some, you know, something as from the, God, uh, from the Lord in terms of a vision or something, uh, but they haven't really seen anything that comes uh, out, of, out of their own spirit. So out of their own emotions, out of their own uh, imaginings. Now, one of the things that is a problem and, and one of the things that can make people especially vulnerable uh, to false uh, prophets and prophetesses is when times are hard and difficult and times were very, very hard in Judah. And, uh, and so when times are difficult, uh, judgment is being brought against them by God. It's, it's a rough, uh, rough time for them right now. Uh, the message that they needed to heed was a, a message to repent, and God uh, would have turned things around immediately uh, for them. But when times are hard and times are difficult in a nation, uh, sometimes that makes us more susceptible to positive messages. And, and so you can... We can, and God will, he's going to hold the false prophets and prophetesses very much responsible for their, their part in things, but they would have never gotten any traction except for the fact that, uh, that the, the message, the false message that they were delivering was a message 
that um, people wanted to hear. Uh, even in this recent incident where uh, the fellow in, in uh, Chicago, the actor on that, the show, I don't know what uh, the name of it is, but uh, where he foisted this kind of thing that he had been assaulted and all of that, and how m uh, many people believed it uh, without any evidence for the, uh, the truth uh, of it. And anybody that kind of uh, uh, heard, you know, the report, I mean, it just didn't pass the smell test uh, at all. I mean, it was like something you would fabricate if you had no contact with uh, the portion of society that you're accusing. It just didn't, it didn't add up. But, but how many people wanted to uh, believe that and did? And they became vulnerable to believing a lie uh, because they were so eager to believe a message like that. Well, it's not just the secular world. It's the spiritual world uh, as well. And so we have to be careful about, um, about you know, our own, our own hearts related to these things and, and what makes us vulnerable to believe, uh, uh, you know, uh, these kind of false uh, prophecies. We tend to believe uh, what we want to believe. And, uh, and so all their desires for good news, we're not going to be judged despite our sin. It, it set them up for embracing the message of, of the false prophets. And, and again, it's a tendency that we all need to be uh, aware of in our, our uh, own, uh, own lives. And so he says now, as God uh, 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 speaks now to, uh, to them here formally in verse 4, O Israel, your prophets are like uh, foxes, uh, in in uh, in the deserts and uh, uh, one second here, I catch myself on up on this one. You know, one. Um, it, it, I'm just debating in my mind at the moment whether I want to uh, address something or uh, leave it behind as as it relates to false uh, false prophets. I think I'm going to um, speak. This is called external processing um, in the pulpit, um, and, and and so let me let me go back just a little bit. And, uh, and just mention three things that I think are important for uh, discerning uh, false prophets and false uh, prophecies and false teachers uh, even today. Uh, number one, a prophecy or anything that's declared is what God is saying. It will never violate uh, God's uh, revealed message or revealed word uh, in, in the Bible. And so their message, a positive message that they're going to be delivered without repenting of their sin from the Babylonian uh, invasion and, and in spite of their deliberate and, and willful sin, it violated the word of God. God had, uh, Moses had spoken repeatedly in the law and declared that if you ever become this kind of person, if you ever become a nation that embraces idolatry and turns your back on God in this way, uh, then God is going to uh, judge you. And, uh, and that's exactly what he, he is going to do. And so Jeremiah's uh, prophecy was consistent with Deuteronomy. So was Ezekiel's message. But the prophet's message was not. Everything has to be tested as being consistent with uh, the one thing that we know is sure, and that is the Word of God. So all prophecies are to be tested by uh, the surest thing that we have in terms of knowing the mind and the will of God, and, and that is the Word of God. Uh, second, a prophecy is, is only to be regarded as from uh, God if it actually happens. And again, Moses spoke about this in, in the book of, of Deuteronomy, and uh, everything that they prophesied were, uh, wasn't going to come to pass. Uh, this third invasion of the Babylonians, uh, of Judah and Jerusalem, it was going to take place and uh, despite their prophecies declaring uh, uh, otherwise. And uh, the false prophets, interestingly enough, people shouldn't have been listening to them at all at this point. They'd already been wrong in prophesying uh, concerning the other two invasions of, of Nebuchadnezzar of, of Jerusalem. And now they're about to be wrong a third time. They really shouldn't have gotten any credibility, except again, people desperately wanted uh, to believe the message that they're going to be okay. We can still have God. We can still have God's protection. And uh, we can still en engage in all of our idolatry and all of our sin. A, a third uh, 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 revelation of whether a prophecy is, 
is from God or not, or is whether the prophecy draws people toward God or away from God. And, uh, and if it draws people away from God, then the prophecy is never of God. And so uh, the false prophets, as they were uh, comforting people in their idolatry, that was a message that anyone should have recognized at this point was not a message that God would give. Never ever. Uh, and, and so uh, we won't talk about, uh, you know, 2,600 years ago or 2,700 years ago, but here tonight in this room, never ever trust a prophet who, or someone who claims to speak for God, uh, that comforts you or comforts me uh, while we're living a life uh, of sin. Uh, Someone who uh, emboldens and heartens the wicked and uh, disheartens and disemboldens uh, the righteous. You're never ever dealing with a a, a true prophet uh, related uh, to that. And uh, so these are ways that we have to to identify them. Now back to verse 4. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. Foxes in those days, they were like, um, uh, they were like, they were known for just being survivors. Uh, An entire nation could be wiped out, an entire city could be wiped out, and uh, the foxes would then take them over. They could live in any terrain. They could live in any any environment and uh, make a living, so to speak. They could they could get by, and uh, and so uh, here uh, uh, Ezekiel is declaring that the false prophets uh, they they thrive in times of difficulty. Uh, they they th- thrive in desperate uh, desperate times and environments and and uh, a, a desperate people uh, e- eager to, uh, to hear, again, a positive message. And so the other thing about foxes is they were uh, known biblically and notoriously for being very, very destructive. In Song of Solomon, uh, you might remember that there's the warning against uh, the little foxes tearing up the vineyards. They could get into a vineyard, dig them up, very, very destructive. And so it was God's way of saying that the false prophets were a very destructive influence uh, among the children of of Israel. And he said, you have not gone up uh, into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on uh, the day of the Lord. That's what they were uh, intended to do. Their prophecies were uh, intended to prepare people for difficult times, and, and their false prophecies left them unprepared for uh, the coming uh, judgment. Uh, a, a true prophet will always recognize that the greatest defense, uh, certainly against God's judgment or His chastening in any nation, the greatest defense is to be righteous before God. It is to be holy uh, before God. That, uh, forget what the kings were doing. Forget what the princes were doing. That's an entirely different realm. Uh, but the most influential within, uh, within Judah was the spiritual leaders because they had the ability to influence people to become something different uh, spiritually. And so it isn't, uh, and, and it's a good reminder for our nation and any nation in the world today. Uh, our strength and, and the greatness of this nation and, and what pr- protects us ultimately from calamity is not our military. Uh, It it is uh, the morality and the spirituality uh, of the population, and and that requires people challenging us to to keep that that level and that standard high uh, in in the face of a a dangerous world. And so uh, they they should have called, uh, made the walls of defense for uh, Jerusalem impenetrable even to any onslaught even Babylon, if they had been uh, spiritually right, but they didn't build the the spiritual wall of defense uh, that they had been called by God uh, to do uh, and uh, for the house of Israel to stand in battle in the day of the Lord. They have envisioned futility, and uh, and, in other words, something that is futile is empty. Their their visions are just emptiness and false divination. Their their visions are are just a a false 
um, well, a false vision, saying, thus says the Lord. So here again is the Christianese that is used to kind of couch this stuff and give legitimacy to it. But the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope uh, that the word may be confirmed. And so they know that they're not hearing from God, but they put out this positive message. It's very, very popular with the people. And then somehow, in some wild uh, faith on their part, they hope that uh, what it is that they've said w- would be confirmed. But they don't have the confidence that a, a true prophet would. Again, it's inconsistent with, with the word of God. Have you not seen a feudal vision And have you not spoken false divination? You say, thus uh, the Lord says, but I have not uh, spoken. So it's a big deal to speak for God and uh, enormous responsibility. There's a great judgment that's associated with it, and they had failed. And therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken nonsense, this is known as clarity, uh, and envisioned uh, lies, Uh, Their visions were lies. Therefore, I am indeed against you, uh, says the Lord God. So at this particular point, they just seem like, wow, we're doing these prophecies and got this whole thing going. People are believing us. Uh, They think we're a big somebody. We're making some pretty good money at this this particular point in time. And God says, I've got some bad news for you. You can have all of that. And if I'm against you, you're in real trouble. And I am against you. My hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor be written in the record of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. Uh, Then you shall know that I am the Lord God. And so God speaks to the false prophets and, uh, and declares the fact that uh, they, they will never see the land of Israel again. So when everyone is taken captive to Babylon for the 70 years of the Babylonian captivity, God declared to them, you will never come back and see this land. You will die in captivity. I will make your life a living testimony to the falseness uh, of what it is that, that you, uh, you prophesied. And so... Uh, very popular with people at the moment, but uh, one day God was going to, to judge them. And uh, um, so they shouldn't have done it. I, I think often about the fact that um, the, uh, the statement that was made concerning Jesus and the people, and, uh, and even at the height of his popularity and his ministry, it said he did not give himself to people because he knew what was in the heart of man. He knew how fickle people were. And here they are thinking they're hot shots and whatever because they got a big following at the moment, and that can be gone in a moment. And what people think uh, of, any, of any of us that are called into this kind of a role within the body of Christ, it means nothing uh, if, if God is not, uh, if, if God is up against us and they had the whole thing flipped uh, completely uh, upside down. Uh, God sticks with you through thick and thin, and, uh, and people don't, and you want to be r- right with God on the day of judgment, and uh, they, got, uh, they, were, they were satisfied with the praise of man rather than the praise of God. And because indeed, uh, because they have seduced my people, saying, peace, when there is no peace, and one builds a wall, and they plaster it with untempered uh, mortar, Say to those who plaster it with untempered mortar uh, that it will fall and uh, there will be a flooding rain and you, O great hailstones, shall fall and a stormy wind shall tear it down. And so he likens the prophecies of the false prophets and and he likens uh, uh, Jerusalem and Judah who are uh, heeding the false prophecies to this kind of a a stone wall that you would make, rock upon rock, and then what they would do in those days is they would fit it, and then they would plaster it over the top so that it would just be this nice, clean wall. It would look sturdy. It would look like it's going to do the function of a wall, a wall of protection, a wall of separation, 
and, uh, but because they were building the wall with false prophecies rather than uh, true prophecies and declaring the word of God, that as soon as uh, their prophecies got tested by the circumstances of life, the invasion by uh, Babylon, that wall that was intended, uh, uh, the wall of protection that a, a prophet is supposed to be to a nation and, and the prophecies, they would all collapse in the moment uh, of greatest need when, when uh, Babylon came in and invaded, invaded the land. And so there's going to be a, f- a flooding rain, again, verse 11, uh, t- speaking of the invasion, and you, O great hailstones, shall fall, and a stormy wind shall tear it down. And surely when the wall has fallen, it will not be said to you, where is the mortar with which, uh, it, uh, with which you plastered it? And so, in other words, their, their prophecy will, will fail. And therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will cause a stormy wind to break forth in my fury, and there will be a flooding rain in my anger and great hailstones in fury to consume it. And so I shall break down the wall you have plastered with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be uncovered and it will uh, fall and you shall be consumed in the midst of it and then you shall know that I am the Lord. And so the, the, the prophet, their false prophecies will not come to pass. God's true prophecies will come to pass. It will be an indication that uh, what God was speaking through Ezekiel and others was, uh, was, uh, was accurate. And so um, it, it wouldn't provide uh, the defense that it was intended to, um, to produce. And then, uh, thus I will uh, accomplish my wrath on the wall and on those who have plastered it with untempered mortar, the false prophets. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor nor those who plastered it. That is the prophets of Israel who prophesy concerning Jerusalem and who see visions of peace for her when there is no peace, uh, says uh, the Lord. And so uh, the, the, the judgment that, that would, would come. Judah, the false prophets, all of them uh, would, would fail. And so again, there is uh, to be aware of anyone that claims to be speaking for God, and, uh, and they make people uh, who are living their lives in direct rebellion against the Word of God uh, make them comfortable in their sinful lifestyle as opposed to calling them uh, to repent. And again, it takes two to tango on that. And uh, uh, they shouldn't have been, uh, uh, been false prophets, but people shouldn't have been listened to them either. All of them will, uh, were ultimately going to collapse uh, with one another. And likewise, in verse 17, it now moves to the false prophetesses that were operating and engaging the same kind of religious con at the, at the same time and for the same reasons. And he said, likewise, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy, so here we have prophetesses, out of their own heart and uh, prophesy uh, against them and say, thus says the Lord God, woe to the women who sow so magic charms in their sleeves and make veils for the heads of uh, of people of every height to hunt souls. And so when he talks about them uh, sewing magic charms on their sleeves, uh, they were selling these magic charms that uh, if you were to sew onto the sleeves of your, your garments, it would ward off uh, evil spirits or, or uh, produce physical uh, healings. Again, in times of desperation, uh, there's always a market for this kind of thing. When it talks about making veils for the heads of people of every height to, uh, to hunt souls, this is talking about the fact that they were engaged in uh, rituals and magic rituals in which they would put spells on people for a fee in order to doom some people to death and then, and then to keep others alive. And so uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that it was effectual that these spells actually came to pass at all, but this is what they were doing and they were getting money from people uh, in order to uh, accomplish this kind of, uh, of nonsense. Again, we're not talking about the Ammonites or the Philistines or the Ammonites. We're talking about God's people who are engaged in all of this. 
And God said, will you hunt the souls of my people and keep yourselves alive? Well, this is interesting because what it indicates is that uh, these prophetesses in selling these spells and and, uh, providing them, that the spells were being directed against the righteous, directed against the souls of my people. And, uh, And then you keep yourselves and others like you alive. And will you profane me among my people for handfuls of barley and and for pieces of bread, killing people who should not die and keeping people alive who should not live by your lying uh, to my people who who listen to lies. And so they were in it for uh, the money and and, uh, just trying to make a a living on on religion at a hard time as if it's just all fun and games. Uh, But the moment you bring uh, God's name into it and claim to represent Him, uh, you've, uh, you've gone from single A to the big leagues and you better watch your step, and they weren't watching their steps. And therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against your magic charms, Uh, not lucky charms. Those are still fine uh, for those of you who still can eat it without going into a diabetic coma. Uh, But behold, I am against your magic charms by which you hunt souls uh, there like birds. I will tear them from your arms and let the souls go, and the souls you hunt like birds, and I will tear off your veils and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall no longer be as a prey in your hand. Then you shall know that I am uh, the Lord. So when all of that, all of those spells, all of these little charms to protect themselves, all of it would be completely blown up by uh, God's judgment, and then they would realize that God is the Lord and that and that these were uh, deceivers. Because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and you have strengthened the hand of the wicked so that he does not turn from his wicked way uh, to save his life. And therefore you shall no longer envision futility nor practice divination, for I will deliver my people uh, out of your hand, and you shall know that I am uh, the Lord. And so uh, the effect of their influence, as he talks about it there in verse 22, was, and, and this is always uh, something's terribly wrong when this is happening, uh, under their influence, uh, they made the heart of the righteous sad, uh, contrary to what uh, God's intent is for the righteous, and they strengthened the hands of the, of the wicked, which is also contrary to uh, God's intent, and it resulted in, in uh, the death of the wicked, and, and uh, it should have been the other way around. Again, a true prophetess, just like a true prophet, will always be one who encourages the righteous to righteousness and warns the wicked to turn away uh, from their uh, wickedness. And so God declares, I'm going to deliver my uh, people from your influence, the influence of these false prophetesses, uh, and, and bring an end to their ministry. I, 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 sometimes I wonder, you know, as we're getting toward the end of the age and waiting for the Lord's return and, and uh, all the different kind of spiritual characteristics that Jesus says is going to mark the world in the last days and, and, uh, and what people will be particularly susceptible to, even, even those that uh, uh, identify uh, as, as a Christian, and the, the itching ears turning toward teachers that will tell them exactly what they want to hear. And this is going to be the, the characteristic. And so uh, people, prophets, also pastors, teachers, teaching people a positive message about their life uh, in an age or in a day where uh, clearly we're needing a warning to steer clear of the wickedness of the world and the sins uh, of the world and, and how easy it is in the, in the uh, sophistication of sin, the subtlety of sin uh, today to have what would, sins that would have appalled uh, a, a, gener- a, a generation of Christians a generation ago or two generations ago uh, now can become a part of our lives in this generation and nobody thinks twice about it. And that's why the importance of the Word of God and, and, um, 
and the warnings uh, of the Word of God. Here you are, so I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on a Sunday night, and we're going through the book of Ezekiel because you recognize the importance of, of these kind of things. But there's a whole world of people that will not go to church or to a church that does not tell them something uh, positive about themselves all the time. And uh, no word of warning, no word of exhortation. They just simply won't, won't, won't put up with it. And uh, you wonder sometimes whether there'd be any kind of an audience, uh, even today, how much of the audience would be for an Ezekiel, for a Jeremiah, and, and the severity of their warnings, the strength uh, of, of their warnings, but it's necessary. And I've always been attracted, I mention it once in a while, but I've always been attracted to the exhortive text. I need to be exhorted because I'm a knucklehead inside, uh, spiritually and otherwise. And, and I need to be regularly put in, in my place. I love that, the, the passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 3. And it says, exhort one another daily, uh, daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by uh, sin's deceitfulness. And sin is very deceitful, and we need uh, the exhortation. We need the warning. And I would just say for any of us, I, all, I like to be encouraged. I like positive messages. I like all of that. That kind of thing, but uh, it, it, it isn't the, the sole diet of, of the scriptures. And so, uh, and then false teaching is a whole different level of things. It's false prophecy and it's in its own kind of way. So the passage asks us, I mean, here you've got a whole group of people that consider themselves to be God's people. They are God's people. And, uh, and they've given place to all of these false prophets and false teachers and false prophetesses. And it's good for us to ask ourselves tonight, in the privacy of our own heart, have, have you or I come under the influence of, of a false prophet or false prophetess or false teacher, and we're dabbling in that, and, and, it, and it, it's something uh, that is important to, uh, to reject that influence within our lives. Now, in verse 14, uh, Ezekiel and the Lord through Ezekiel now begins to speak of the idolatry, uh, idolatrous hearts of, of Israel's elders, and, and it gets exposed. And, and uh, now some of the elders of Israel came to me, uh, the elders of Israel, the Jews in Babylon at Tel Aviv. They come uh, to Ezekiel, probably perhaps to his house, sit before him, and uh, evidently wanting some kind of a word from God. And uh, maybe they no longer have any questions about whether Jerusalem is going to survive a, a Babylonian uh, onslaught, uh, or, or, uh, so they've given up on that. But they want to wonder, maybe they wonder, how long are we going to be a captive here uh, in, in Babylon? But they come with some kind of, of a question that they want revelation from God concerning and they recognize uh, Ezekiel uh, to be a prophet of God. I mean, they recognize it. Why would you come and sit with him unless you recognized everything this guy says for God comes to pass, but they won't listen to his message. That's, it's wild. And so they're sitting in front of him, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, these men have set up uh, uh, their idols in their hearts and put before them that which uh, uh, causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired at all uh, by them? And so when they left Jerusalem and came to Babylon, they had to abandon all of their idols that they had in their homes and in their businesses. And the problem is, is they left all of the physical items back in Jerusalem, uh, but uh, the idolatry was still in their own heart. They were still worshiping those same gods. And, and basically, the false gods were the deification of the flesh, the same lusts of the flesh, desires of the flesh, self-will uh, that the gods allowed them to do. Uh, contrary to God's word, the false gods did uh, in, back in Jerusalem. And so uh, this is all continuing uh, to exist within, uh, within their hearts. And an idol is anything that uh, in our lives, anything that we love more than God anything that we love more than God. Say, man, that's a pretty demanding standard. Idolatry is anything in the life of a Christian that we love more than, than God. Uh, idolatry is for any part of my life that is intended for God uh, that is given to something else. 
And that's what idolatry is. And it's seductive stuff. And it's a good thing to have uh, search our hearts. And so while they'd given up the physical idols, there were still parts of their heart, their mind, their soul, their strength that belonged solely to God that they were still giving uh, to their idols. But, it was, uh, but they figured that since we don't have the outward idols, my idolatry is in my heart, uh, nobody can see it. Yeah, nobody but the most important person in the world, God. I mean, that's who we're claiming to have a relationship with. You can't hide anything from God. And yet, uh, this is uh, the idea that, that they come with. And so, it is interesting, he says, uh, that uh, the idols in their hearts, and they put before them uh, that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. And so, idolatry, uh, we become like whatever we worship, the Bible teaches. And always there's a sin angle. In, in my life or any, anybody's life, if I start to, if I make something an idol in my life contrary to God's word, why would I do that? Except I'm wanting to protect some iniquity and in practice of iniquity uh, within, within my heart and within my life. And so that's why uh, the idolatry continued uh, inside of them. But, you know, it's in their heart. Nobody sees. And so they come, you know, pretending to uh, be, you know, thirsty for God and, and knowing what God has to say and, and uh, hunger, hungry for his revelation. And, uh, and in this condition, and the Lord says, again, end of verse 3, should I let myself be inquired at all uh, by them? In other words, if they refuse to believe everything that I've already told them in the law of Moses and all of the prophecies that I've already uh, given to them, and uh, if, they, uh, if, if they disregard everything that I've said up to this point, then how can they expect me to reveal even more uh, to them? And that's a good question, and, uh, and I think the principle holds even in today. And I think it happens all of the time where you might have a Christian who's living in rebellion to God and, and uh, to God's commandments, and then they get in some kind of a special, uh, especially difficult kind of, uh, of bind, and they want God to now uh, tell them what to do in this little tiny area of their life. But keep your fingers off of all of the other idols in my life. I just want something for this, this little area. But they have, they have no interest in God speaking into the totality of the disobedience in, in their life. And God says, I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, to do it. God's got a single message to that kind of person, both then and now. And we'll see it in verse 6. And it's, it's the word uh, repent. Uh, and it, uh, again, it only makes sense because if, if I don't, uh, why should God reveal anything else to me, uh, anything additionally to me until I've shown that I value his wisdom enough to obey what he's already revealed to me? And, and Jesus says this in one of my favorite verses in the Bible that speaks to this whole issue of wanting revelation, wanting God to manifest himself uh, to us in John 14, 21. And Jesus said, uh, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And then here it is, and manifest myself to him. He makes a promise to manifest himself in the way that we so desperately need in the daily of our life, but he only makes that promise as we live a life of obedience uh, uh, to, to him. And one of the things about idolatry and uh, both then and now is, uh, but we see it here in this picture, is how irrational it is. I mean, here they are, push comes to shove in their life. They are in captivity in Babylon. Uh, they've got a question in their mind that none of their idols can answer. Uh, they're not getting any revelation from these false, uh, uh, false gods and all. And so when they really need an answer to their questions, what do they do? They turn to the Lord for them. They don't turn to their idols uh, for them. And it's a public confession on all of their, their parts here that they recognize that the Lord is greater than their idols. So why continue with the idolatry? Except, except for the reason that the idolatry always has been a, a means of uh, trying to give a spiritual uh, legitimacy uh, to some kind of sin. 
in my life by virtue of saying, I am engaged in this sin, what is prohibited by God, uh, I am engaged in this as an expression uh, of worship uh, toward, uh, toward some uh, some deity. And so uh, after all they'd been through, they ought to have been in sackcloth and ashes and fully repentant, and God could have spoken to them openly, uh, but they weren't. And therefore, you know, it's one thing too to, to do this kind of thing, but you're playing God as a dummy. I mean, like you can't see what's in my heart. And so now we're going to come and we're going to come this kind of way. How, you know, it's an insult to God. And so, therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity. That's what idolatry does. It leads us into iniquity. And then comes to the prophet, uh, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart. And God wanted their hearts. He didn't want them coming and doing some kind of a religious show by coming into Ezekiel's living room and pretending to care about him. He wanted their hearts. Their hearts are a million miles away from him, filled with idols. And... Uh, and so uh, the Lord says, that's not what I'm, uh, I, I'm after. I want to seize Israel by their heart. That's what I want. I want reality uh, in this relationship because they are all estranged from me uh, by uh, their idols. And so the Lord uh, warns them re related to this. This is what he's wanting. He's not going to play uh, this game. And therefore, thus says, uh, uh, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent. Turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations, which is his, what he refers to uh, idols as. They called them idols. He called them abominations. And he said, here's the solution. Uh, you want to hear from me? Uh, you, uh, uh, then, uh, then repent of your idols, and, and, and then we can uh, move forward here. For anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who separates himself from me and sets up idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. And here's how I will answer. The answer will be a judgment. I will set my face against that man, and I will make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people, talking about death, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. And so God says, uh, these, uh, these people that want to come before me in this way, play the kind of game that these elders were, uh, God says, I'll make them a proverb. I'll make them an example before all of God's people and that I will, I will smite them. I will, I will kill them and I will remove their influence from among God's people and I'll make them a proverb, a life lesson to the rest of, of God's people. In other words, uh, when so-and-so would be judged as an idolater who is, is feigning to be an, uh, an elder among the children of Israel and God strikes them in a way that people know that God struck them, then anytime anybody else would then be tempted to turn toward that idolatry, in their mind it would be, that person would become a proverb, it'd be, rem it'd be remember uh, what happened to Brother Hillel who took that path or Brother Shimei, who took that path and, and, the, and, and make them a lesson and a proverb against following on that path. And if the prophet is induced to speak anything, uh, I, the Lord, have induced that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among uh, my people Israel, and they shall bear their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be the same as the punishment uh, to one, uh, the one who inquired. And so the Lord uh, gives them this, this strong uh, warning uh, related to all of this that he wouldn't respond through his prophet to someone who was inquiring of him, uh, harboring uh, idolatry uh, in his heart. And so if a, if a prophet did give an answer to that kind of person, declare 
declaring it to be from God, God is saying that that would be be a false uh, prophet. And uh, if God did speak through the prophet, it would only be in order to bring uh, judgment on both the prophet and uh, the false prophet and and the, the idolater. And then in verse 11, that, and that uh, is a reason word. And so here's the, uh, the purpose behind the punishment that he's just talked about. That the house of Israel may no longer stray from me, nor be profaned anymore with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people and I may be their God, uh, says the Lord. And so he would uh, punish them. He'd uh, purge this idolatry, continue to do so in order to bring people uh, back uh, to him. And uh, God wasn't going to accept anything other than a wholehearted, uh, real spirit and in truth, worshiping God in spirit and in truth kind of, uh, of relationship. He wasn't going to participate in that game, the game that the elders of Israel were trying to play with him uh, on this scene. And he won't yet today. And In verse 12, uh, on through the rest of the chapter, uh, God uh, declares the fact that uh, the judgment that he uh, said was going to come upon Judah and Jerusalem, that now uh, this is an absolute uh, certainty. And so he said, the word of the Lord came to me uh, saying, and uh, now he pronounces a a fourfold judgment upon Judah, upon Jerusalem, and uh, the fourfold judgment uh, made up of the four things that were the most, uh, that that people feared the most uh, in, in the ancient world. And so he begins with the judgment of famine, son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent faith, uh, unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it and I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it and cut off man and beast from it. And so they would begin to experience famine as a part of God's judgment, all in an attempt to get them to turn back to him. He'd make things tight. Uh, in the household and tight uh, for for the nation. I do think it's important to recognize it, there in verse 13, he talks about them and, and his uh, judging them for uh, by persistent unfaithfulness. Again, we're not talking about uh, the person who is trying to do their best to live for God and walk with God, and then we mess up regularly and we fall short of, of the perfection of, of what God calls us to. And, and I'm personally convinced that not even, not, none of us will ever experience a single day in our life in which we don't sin. And that's why Jesus spoke in that prayer that he taught the disciples to pray, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And it's a daily prayer. Every day we are less than Jesus. In our thinking, in our motives, in our meditations, in our actions, uh, in, in life. So, but here we, should, we don't want to read this thinking that, wow, if you just, you know, take, just mess up uh, inadvertently, uh, God is going to bring the hammer down. I, I think that sometimes when you're a new Christian and you read 1 John for the first time, and John says, if a man sins, then this and this, and you go, wow, I mean, we're we're doomed. And, uh, but when he talks about sin, John does in that first, uh, first epistle, uh, it's, it's in the present tense. It's talking about living a lifestyle of sin, uh, deliberately continuing in sin. And, and this is what was troubling uh, God here. All of us on a daily basis are uh, falling short being convicted uh, of our sin, confessing it to God, uh, repenting, and getting on about our business. This is something uh, stronger than that. Uh, but if persistent unfaithfulness represents our life tonight, uh, I don't want to uh, explain anything away, and I certainly don't want to explain uh, that away. That's serious business. He would send famine uh, upon them. And then he said, even if these three men, uh, Noah, uh, wow, that's a... That's quite a name from the Old Testament. 
then Daniel, there's another great name. I mean, these are righteous men. And then Job, even if they, these three uh, were in it, they were uh, in the land, uh, they would deliver only themselves uh, by their own righteousness, says the Lord. And so he said, even if Noah and Daniel and Job, I mean, the, the, these, these pillars of righteousness in the Old Testament, uh, even they can't now turn back the judgment that was going to come uh, upon the land. They could only deliver their own souls. Uh, by, by their own uh, righteousness. And so the hearts of the people had become so hardened that uh, no one in Judah or uh, Jerusalem would have listened to even these three. Uh, only, they would only get out uh, with, with their lives. They, and even these three wouldn't be able to save their sons or their daughters or their, or their, or their, uh, their grandchildren. And it's a, it's a great kind of example of the fact, you might have heard the old saying about how God only has children, he doesn't have grandchildren. Everybody's gotta have their own relationship uh, with God. Nobody can have uh, a relationship with God for other people. We don't get into heaven on the basis of, of the righteous life that our friends are living or our parents or our grandparents or our children or whatever it might be. Everybody needs to uh, have their own righteous relationship uh, before God in, in a world uh, today, much more than just Judah and, and Jerusalem, in a world that is set up for judgment. And then he talks uh, about the, the second great uh, fear in the ancient world in terms of, of judgment, and I will cause wild beasts to pass through the land, and they empty it and make it so desolate that no man may pass through because of the beasts. And even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, only they would be delivered and the land would be desolate. Or if I bring a sword on that land and say sword, uh, talking about warfare, uh, go through the land and I cut off man and beast from it, even though these three men were in it as I live, says the Lord, they would, neither de they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but only they themselves would be delivered. And then the, the fourth and final great uh, fear of the ancient world was disease or plague. And uh, so he says, if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury on it in blood and cut off from it man and beast, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their own righteousness. For thus says the Lord God, how much more shall it be when I send my four severe judgments on Jerusalem, the sword and famine and the wild beasts and pestilence to cut off man and beast from it. Yet, and boy, uh, you're ready for a yet at this point, aren't you, in the, in the narrative? Uh, yet behold, there shall be left in it uh, among uh, the remnant of Jerusalem, uh, there'll be a remnant who will be brought out. Uh, they're going to survive uh, these four judgments, both sons and daughters. Surely they will come out to you and you will see their ways and their doings and then you will be comforted concerning the disaster that I have brought upon Jerusalem, all that I have uh, brought uh, upon it. And so uh, the judgment that Jerusalem deserves by the time God meted it out. Uh, everybody deserved to be completely wiped out. God says, I'm going to keep a remnant, and that'll be the only good news that will come to the Jews, is that a remnant of the Jews uh, he has kept alive uh, from that judgment. And they will comfort you when you see their ways and their doings, and you shall know that I have done nothing without cause, uh, 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 without cause that I have done it, uh, says the Lord God. And so when these uh, captives or these uh, remnant that survived uh, that captivity or the, the destruction of Jerusalem went into all of the different places they would go uh, into captivity to, they would bring the message to the rest of the captives of what Jerusalem was like in the final days, the sin, the idolatry, the horror, the judgment, the everything of it, and then the Jews that were in foreign lands would realize uh, that, uh, that God had been completely just in, in pouring out his, his judgment out uh, upon, upon them. We'll stop there tonight, and uh, we'll pick it up in chapter 15 and, and then into 16 
next week. Let's stand together and we'll ask the worship team uh, to come forward and prepare to close us up tonight in, in worship. And let's, let's pray together. Father, as we read a passage like this tonight and, and we read of the capacity to not only be deceived, uh, but the capacity for self-deception concerning a relationship with you, concerning righteousness, concerning uh, playing with sin, concerning uh, playing a game as much as Samson ever did with his calling. The Jews were doing here, Lord, and, and playing with their... Uh, your unique call upon them when the Messiah haven't even been born through their bloodline uh, yet. And Lord, as we recognize that same capacity with, within us, we thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit within our lives. And we ask that as we desire to live for you in this uh, final age of grace in, in human history before uh, Jesus' return for the church, that, Lord, you would keep the standard very high in our lives, that you would confront us immediately concerning a divided heart or idolatry that even exists in our heart tonight uh, that we think is kept a secret but is quietly leading us continually into sin, Lord. We, we pray that you would keep us on a short lease, keep us close to you, Lord, keep us holy, and, and keep us in a place where this relationship is all reality, all spirit and in truth, and no hypocrisy, and no phony nonsense, Lord. And that's what we want. And we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit that keeps us uh, moving in that and toward that. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue that work of your Spirit in our lives in an even greater measure. And we pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.